Let's study in Matthew chapter 5. The story of um, Sermon on the Mount and starting at verse 1. Matthew 5 verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to go on tonight and talk about the blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. We're singing just now, come and cleanse my heart. Come and cleanse my heart. You know, cleansing... And real transformation of a person comes when God really meets them. And I think one of the awful things is that that which God says in the scriptures and that which is true in the word of God is totally ignored by the majority of people who profess Jesus Christ Blessed, he says, are the poor in spirit. And we saw when we dealt with it that that wasn't poverty of, of um, natural resources. Though I might say that, um, you know, poverty of natural resources is sometimes a great blessing as well as a great curse. I believe, though, in what David prayed, he said, Lord, let me not be so rich that I forget thee. And let me not be so poor that I curse thee. Wealth, though, in a Christian is a very dangerous position to have. And one must understand that the modern kind of name-it-claim-it groups are totally in error. For Christ talks of a blessed state of being poor in spirit. Not someone who claims all riches, but someone who knows the poverty, that all wealth is in God, all honor and glory is unto him. That when he blesses a person, he does not give to that person that which is in God and God's own, but he merely allows that person who has come to a realization of his true poverty, to move in the wonderful graces and divine power of God. And that alone, blessed are the poor in spirit. And as we look tonight, I want to 
draw your attention to the whole truth for the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, is a whole and to take one verse out of context is sometimes a dangerous thing. And if you look at it, you will see that verse 6, which we dealt with last time, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, is the watershed of that particular scripture. You'll notice that up to that point, the three blesseds are expressing need and the consciousness of need. And it's always essential in a Christian's life that he has a real consciousness of need. There should never be a time in your life or my life where I'm not conscious of my total poverty and dependence upon God and his mercy and grace. And if I haven't got that, then I'm totally out of the truth and out of the gospel. For Christ said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I need to understand that poverty of spirit and an acknowledgement of that is an essential part of a true Christian character, a realization. Paul put it this way. He said that he was aware that in me dwelleth no good thing. Paul had a realization that there was total poverty I once spoke to a man who was coming, coming back on a plane from, uh, I can't think where I was flying from, <laughs> Atlanta I think it was, and I, 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 there was a Nigerian sitting behind me and I overheard a tape he was playing and there was this tape he was playing with Christian choruses on, so I turned around to him and said, ah, oh, so you're a Christian? He said, yes. I said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been to a conference, and he'd been to a conference where, um, you know, he'd gone to a conference in America. I can't remember who the speaker was now. It's gone out of my mind. Um, it was Hagen's sidekick. Anyway, um, you know, the second man. And there he says, he starts talking to me, and he told me that no one need ever be sick. So I said to him, well, that's strange, because... Then Paul and Timothy and Onesius and other people didn't really understand the gospel if it's true that no one need ever be sick. And he said, well, you see, today we have a greater revelation than Paul. At that point, I thought, buster, keep your doctrine. <laughs> you know, when a man thinks he's greater than the apostle Paul, forget it. That man's cookie. Because the word of God's given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It would have been profitable for instruction and reproof, but unfortunately he was greater than Paul. So what's the point in Paul's letters writing to him? I mean, this guy, he was up in cloud nine. And, you know, what a... Oh dear, it makes one feel ill. And yet the first thing that God says here, and Christ speaking says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I need to be aware all the time, every moment of every day, of my total inability. Of myself, I can do nothing. I can't save myself. I can't determine to change myself. I can't repent. 
unless God in his mercy gives me the gift, repentance is a gift of God. I can't believe unless the faith comes by hearing the word of God and God quickens the word to my heart, I can have no real faith. I can have belief. Someone said to me today, and uh, I'm sure she meant it, she said, well, I accept all the truth, but I don't understand it. I said, my dear, that's no good. Accepting without true understanding and revelation by the Holy Ghost isn't faith. That's not faith. Faith is born of God by the Holy Ghost in the heart. And it's not claiming a scripture. God deliver us from such stupidity. It is a revelation spoken, a rhema. Faith cometh by hearing a rhema of God. A word spoken from heaven speaks life into the soul. That's why so many people claim promises and it never works. Pharisees read the scripture. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have life. Life's not in the scriptures. Life's in the rhema. The living word, spoken word of God, spoken in the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's what brings life, and that's what quickens. It's not someone getting up and saying, oh, well, I claim this or I claim that. That's rubbish. You might claim you lost property from British Rail, but that's about all you'll get. You won't get anything real if it's not God who speaks it has to be spoken in power. And I need to know that God has spoken into the depths of my soul the blessedness of poverty of spirit. I need it as a revelation from God. Man is so proud. Man is so egocentric. Man won't ever believe he's poor in spirit. You meet lots of people. Well, God saved me because I responded. Nay. What blasphemy. God saves a man because he chooses to save a man. And it's not out of my response. It's just his sovereign grace. He bestows his love on whom he will. And whom he hardeneth, said Paul, he hardeneth. And that's that. You say, well, isn't man allowed to choose? Well, if you want to believe... In such blasphemy, believe it, I don't. It says in Ephesians that God ordains all things after the purpose of his own counsel of his own will. All things. And I believe God chooses. He just chooses whom he will and he lightens them and he quickens them. I know I can't repent unless he in grace brings me to that place. It's a gift of God. Esau sought repentance carefully with tears. He didn't find it. Judas Iscariot repented himself. He did the best he could. But that's no good. And there are many people who work and try to work salvation and hear the gospel and try to get themselves into it. But you see the key to it and the entrance to it and the door to it is a very small door. It's called poverty of spirit. You can't begin until that's worked in your life. Until you realize your total inability, your total unworthiness, and you deserve hell. 
and your nature is twisted and distorted and doesn't want God. And if you haven't got to that revelation, forget it. You haven't begun on the road of the gospel. And then we go on, as we've talked about it so much, we go on to the second stage, mourning. Blessed are the mourning, those that mourn. What a blessed state, Christ says. What am I mourning for? When I see the depravity of my nature, when I see the depravity of sin in my being, and I see that there is something in me that's so ugly, if I haven't had a revelation of that, I'm not saved. That's it. You're not saved if you haven't got a revelation of that. You're out. It's in verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And if you don't mourn for your sinfulness, if you've never mourned and cried out to God and somehow got to the age um, of despair almost, sometimes it's a crying out, Oh God, who shall deliver me? Or to put it in Paul's terms, Oh wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There's a crying out and a yearning and a discovery. If you haven't got there, you haven't got to the second. And then the third stage of it is the meek. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now the meek person is the person who has given up all hope in himself. He knows that he can't respond. He knows that when he would do good, evil's present with him. He knows that there's this terrible drive within. And that person, he just says, Oh God, I deserve hell. If you send me to hell, it's a righteous judgment. There's nothing I can do. I deserve nothing but condemnation. That's my desert. I deserve hell. I really deserve it and believes it. I've heard people say they know they deserve hell. <laughs> and they look rather like polished apples that people ply on teachers to get favors. Uh, you know, it's a foolish bribe. Uh, you know, turning around to God and mouthing something with your mouth which isn't a reality in your heart is a stupid thing to do. But oh, when you come to that revelation, you say, oh God, oh God. And you begin to cry out, oh wretched man that I am. And you see your total inability. And then what happens is you begin to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. I want to know him. I want to know that holiness within. I want to know that change in my being. And that's the watershed, really. The first three are taking us down. Down, down, down. You need to go down. To, you know, blessed is he that's abased, for he shall be exalted. And if a person isn't abased in self, they'll never be exalted. And then we move on to God's provision in this. We begin to hear 
after the emphasis is on our deep need. And Christ said, it's blessed when you really know your need, when you really understand the deep need within. What a blessed state. Now, most people don't feel blessed. Not when they get that way. They want their hijinks. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. You know, we've got it all. That's junk. What I need is to get in and see my poverty, to see the exceeding evil and sinfulness of my sin, to see the degradation of a human heart, to see myself as God sees me, to have the light of God come into my being. Then, and then alone, I begin to hunger and thirst and yearn for righteousness. And oh, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. And then comes about a change. And we begin to see God's provision. And he says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, God doesn't leave us down in despair. But then we see his provision and a promise we will be filled with righteousness. Glory to God. And then we become the next things. You'll see what we become. We become, first of all, and most important of all, merciful. You know, there's one thing, as I said last time, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We become merciful. In the sense that, who do you want, Alan? Okay. Uh, Righty-o, they've departed, good. Um, Merciful. Now, the thing about being merciful is if you've realized your own depravity, you realize your own inability one thing you can do is sympathize with others who are in a position who are totally unable to get out of their sin. A lot of people say to me, I don't know why I do it. It just drives me. I want to be different, but I can't. Now, a man who knows that in himself there was no good, he's merciful. He can understand and sympathize and empathize with a person like that. He can put himself in their position and say, yeah, I understand the way it is. A man who's had true poverty of spirit. Blessed state. And you're blessed to be merciful. You say, you know, you can put your arm around them and you can say truly, I understand how you feel. I know what it means. I know the struggle. I know the cry. I know the yearning because I've lived it and experienced it. Paul could write it. In Romans 7 he expressed what was a reality, what he'd been through. And he could say, I know, I cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And that was after a real revelation of Christ. Don't think that was just pre-conversion. Don't be deceived by false commentators. It was a real experience. And he became merciful. He knew how to comfort those that were cast down. He knew how to exalt those who needed exalting and lifting up. 
And he could write things that lift up the hands that hang down, strengthen the feeble knees, lest the lame be turned out of the way. Don't you understand? He had understanding for the needs of people. And that only comes from a man who's learnt the blessed four states. Blessed are poverty of spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now if you haven't even experienced that, you can't possibly be merciful. I remember when I was first converted, I came up through Pentecost and the full gospel businessman. And I know one thing that happened to me there. God met me and there was no doubt God moved in my life. But the last thing I was was merciful. In fact, I, anyone who was a sinner was condemned to hell and deserved it. I did not I was saved. And God had saved me and filled me with the Holy Ghost and I could speak in tongues. Hallelujah. I laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Glory to God. Wonderful Jesus. You know, thank you, Lord. All that. But the real thing was I had no understanding or compassion. In fact, my gospel excluded compassion. You see, the wicked people wouldn't turn. If only you'd turn, God would save you, I said to them. What I never understood was it's not like that at all. I threatened them with hell. And genuine threat. I told them. Now, I didn't understand it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. I thought that a little hellfire would do them good. It would scorch their rear end into heaven. And up they'd come and say, Oh Lord, you know, save me, you know. This is a wonderful gospel. Actually, my gospel was more slanted to telling them what would happen if they didn't. Um, but then the good news was, if you only asked Jesus, then you'd all be all right and live happily ever after. Amen. Like the fairy tale. You know, they all lived happily ever after. Now, the ever after, well, I hadn't got much experience of that. I just kind of got saved and power for the hour. Well, thank God it's, and I was talking with my wife last night and some friends, 18 years ago it was, thank God that he taught me a few things. Actually at the time I thought, you know, I knew more than most. But all young people do that, don't they? That's one of the great advantages of youth. Total brashness. Total unadulterated ability to ignore facts. To argue in the face of circumstances and facts and truth and experience, you are, but a young person knows better. Now, we all go through that stage, it's part of growing up. And in your Christian life, there's a lot of people that go through that stage. They're immature, pimply little teenagers who have all their doctrines and all their ideas right and go through the obnoxious stage of adolescence in the Christian life. And I was a bit like that, you know. Except I have more acne than most in my Christian life. And I had to learn that, what, what, what was this? When I read this bit about poverty of spirit, or someone would mention Matthew chapter 5, I'd say, well, of course, I've, you know, I've been delivered from that. 
So three of the blessings I wasn't. Definitely, because I've been delivered. Jesus has met all my needs. Hallelujah, glory to God, you know. You ever said it? You know, Jesus is able to keep me. And you get in, you know, those preachers that stand on platforms and pour out that garbage. I did. In fact, I was very practiced at it. I used to tell people, well, look, it's all right. I remember getting up in front of one congregation. I said, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. Now, I want to tell you, it is Christ who has to strengthen you because someone attacked me with two carving knives and I ended up in hospital with a double fracture of the spine and found I couldn't do all things through Christ to strengthen me because he didn't choose to strengthen me at that point. But you see, what I hadn't appreciated is Paul wrote that after he'd been in the depths two days and a night, after he'd been in imprisonments, after he'd been in stripes, beaten, stoned and left for dead, all sorts of experience in his life. And then he writes at the end of it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He'd proved it. Now, I was a little puppy, not even dry behind the ears. But I read this verse and claimed it. Pushed out my chest and bolstered it. So God said, okay, Sonny Jim. Sent along a mad guy with two carving knives. Said, now can you do it? (laughs) And I think the angels laughed. Paper tiger. Look at him. I was too. I tell you, I didn't enjoy being in hospital. I read my Bible when I was in hospital, which is helpful. And I learned a lot. Experience is a great teacher. One of the awful things is there's so many people preaching who have no experience, except of kind of rabid Pentecostalism or charismatic neuroticism or whatever you want to call it. They have no real experience of life. What do they know of suffering? Why? They drive their Cadillac and God bless everyone as long as the congregation gives to me, you know I'm all right. But the truth is, what about poverty of spirit? Where's that? Where's this spirit of meekness in them? They tell God what to do. Lord, heal this person now in Jesus' name. Do it, Lord. As though God was their servant. They turn around and say, claim this, claim that from God. As though God should run around doing errands for them. They get it the wrong way around. I thought we were his servants. I thought we had to do his will, not tell him what we wanted him to do for us. But we have to find out what he wants us to do for him. They have it all the wrong way round. I didn't know these first three scriptures. The meek. People would come up and say, you're abrasive, brash. Well, so what? Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is submission to God. Seeing that the Lord is the one who's King of kings and Lord of lords, that I'm his servant. You don't become egocentric. 
It's not what I want from God, what I want God to do for me, what I want him to bless me with, how I want him to do this for me and that for me and the other for me. And God do this, God do that, I'll give you my prayer list. It's not that at all. That's not truth. Meekness is coming to the place of saying, Lord, I'm what Paul would call a love slave. What do you want me to do to please your heart? When you know your own perversity of nature, when you know how far your own nature would take you from God, you tend to have a different attitude and you come, oh Lord, you know, just what is it you want me to do? You don't look for anything big. You just want to find out. Now I'm afraid those three scriptures never ever entered my vocabulary. In fact, I must confess that when people mentioned them, I felt a shudder go up my spine and I used to say, well, you know. <laughs> well, Jesus was talking to the Jews, wasn't he? Uh, it wasn't a good answer because he was talking to his disciples. Well, wasn't he talking to the unconverted? Well, you actually get a problem with that because every word's eternal. Man shall live by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God and I can't just ignore it by pushing it off as that was for that time because no one had been filled with the Holy Ghost up till then. That was another of my little securities. Uh, of course, a lie. And so I had to learn have you learnt yet? And so we go on. Those are the three things. Merciful, we then go on to. The results. We become merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Merciful, we realize the poverty of spirit. Pure in heart. Those who have mourned over their sinfulness. And then peacemakers, those who are not self-seeking, self-loving, or to put it another way, the meek. And you'll find there's a corresponding going down and there's a corresponding coming up. You'll notice that the first one, uh, poverty of spirit, is compared with the merciful. Because that's the only way you become merciful, by having uh, poverty of spirit and acknowledging it. The second one, pure in heart, those who really have mourned for their sin, if you've never cried out, mourned and yearned for God to deliver you, you've never really been cleansed. Not really. And cleansing's a continuous thing. Don't think it's a once for all. You kind of get down and say, oh God, I'm sorry, and no tears shed. What hypo hypocrisy. It's a continuing thing. As you go on with God, the nearer you get to him, the more you see until you say like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. Not because Paul said it, because you know it. And then we go on to the third thing, which is peacemakers, and those are the people who are meek. And so there's a, a stages. There's a stages going down, and there's stages kind of living in the Christian life. And so I want to talk about, as I said, that's the introduction, blessed are the pure in heart. Now the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about the heart. Getting to the heart of the matter. You know, Christ, when he spoke to people, 
He, he wasn't interested in the intellectuals, and he didn't speak to a man's intellect, and he didn't speak to a religious person. What he was interested in was getting to the heart of people. And when he looked at the Pharisees, he kept saying to them, look, you're whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones. You bother about the outside of the cup when the inside is full of filthiness. You've got your religious life on the outside. You live your Christian life, say, on the outside, but it's your inward parts. It's as you're thinking inside. That's what God's after. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's what goes on internally that God's interested in. He saw the Pharisees. They, they lived exemplary lives. And Jesus said, except you, your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he started getting over time and time again. He said, look, it's your inward parts. You're washing the outside, but what about the inside? Time after time it was pointing there. And we have to understand that holiness, true holiness, is not merely our conduct. It isn't ethic and it's not behavior. True holiness is the inward spirit of God. God within, that's holiness. That sets you apart. That sanctifies God's spirit within. In your heart. What's the state of your heart? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sit down and listen to a person talking and you know exactly what's inside. After a time you hear it, it comes out of the mouth. Scripture also says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your condition is what, not what your behavior is. Your condition isn't what your ethic is. Your condition isn't what your beliefs are. You might believe in purity. You might believe in holiness. You might even claim it. But that's not what counts. What counts is as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your true condition is what you think. That's what you are. It's in your inward thoughts. Now there are a lot of people that can be nice on the outside and holy on the outside and very filthy inside. They think inwardly things they would never do. But their minds are sewers. Internally, they're filthy. And yet, outwardly, they're moral. Internally, there's such filth within, and yet outwardly, you couldn't say there was a spot. And when Christianity comes and the gospel comes, it comes to deal with my inward man, not my outward. It comes to deal with my heart. And Christ said, blessed are the pure in heart. And we need to understand what it is. The heart is the center of your being. It's where your will is, your volition. It's where your emotions are. It's the seat of your emotions. And it's the seat of your mind too. It's where your thinking goes on in your heart. 
And it's there that God wants to be. It's there that he needs to be supreme. And as you live, well, in fact, the heart basically is the total man. What you are is your heart, really. And you manifest it by what you think and the way you, the behavior comes out in the end of what you really are. You know, Mao Zedong wrote, it's easy for a man to be good for a little while. Communism can teach any man to be good for a little while, but it's the inside that they can't get at. They can't change the inside of a man. And the second thing I want you to see is the heart is the seat of all our troubles. Believe it or not, it isn't your environment that's your problem. Don't think if only I lived somewhere else, if only I went somewhere else, then everything would change. Because basically you pack up your troubles in your suitcase, wherever you go. The problem's your heart. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, you'll find these words spoken by Christ. In Matthew 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now where do they come from? Not your environment. From your heart. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts or evil reasonings. They come out of your heart. It's not your experience that causes it. It's out of your heart they come. Do you know the people that had the best environment there ever was were Adam and Eve in the garden. They lived in paradise. And Adam sinned. He had the best environment. If it was environment that was going to change man, then Adam had the best opportunity, Adam and Eve. And yet their environment, though it was paradise and walking with God, yet they sinned. It's out of the heart things proceed. And what I need to understand in my life, it's my heart that God wants to deal with. It's my inward thoughts. It's my inward being. That's what Christ came to change. And I need to come to honesty about what the state of my inward being is. Unless I see that my inward being is totally depraved. Unless I see the total depravity of my natural nature and human nature. I can't really come into this pure in heart at all. For it's interesting when you start studying the Greek what the pure in heart means. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. Do you know, education won't change you. The, the uh, politicians used to say, in 1943, you know, they started boasting that, 45 rather, they were going to make education, would eradicate crime from the country, eradicate immorality, eradicate poverty. 
Well, I find that, I mean, you know, they, 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 the criminals are more educated now, more skillful in their wickedness. The prostitutes ply their trade in more salubrious places and know how to avoid the diseases that their wickedness brings upon them. The uh, people in high places learn more how to disguise their wickedness and their immorality. And so you've got the whole thing. But education hasn't made people better. For Christ says it's out of the heart that precede these things. And what people need to deal with is not education, it's not environment, it's hearts. What society needs to get at is the hearts of the people. It's inside where the problems spring from. Your real problems in life are inside your heart. That's where they come from. Want to know what your problem is? your heart want to know where all your problems arise in the seat of my it's in you it's not the outward temptation it's the inward thing now you might say oh it's the devil that tempts you nay Jesus says it's your heart out of the heart come evil reasonings don't you be one of these people gets con believing it's a demon speaking to me your evil reasoning comes out of your dirty heart, according to Jesus. Now, of course, there is a possibility that with you he might have been wrong, but I doubt it. Don't you? The evil reasonings come out of your heart, and that really is the heart of the matter. It's not the devil. It's not some great ogre. It's not a demon. You know, people talked, in, in my young days, you had the Derek Prince and Don Basham ministries. Should have been Don Basham. But um, they were all demon-orientated, you know. If someone did something, it was a spirit of lust. So they got up, or a lying spirit if they told a lie, or a deceiving spirit. What junk. Every spirit, evil spirit or demon, is a lying spirit, a deceiving spirit, and an unclean spirit. And a lustful thing. That's why it's a devil. And then some fools ask them their names. Fancy asking a liar to tell you the truth. Of course they won't. You know, I've, I've heard it. It's ridiculous. But the basic thing is, my evil thoughts and my evil desires, they don't come out of some devil, they come out of me. They come out of my heart, says Christ. Now I'd like to believe it was a devil. It's nice to feel that the filth and the degradation comes out of someone else, not me. But unfortunately the truth is, it doesn't. According to Christ, and you better go and have a chat with him if you don't agree. But according to him, in 18, let's read it. Verse 18, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart... Now notice this is the words of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't wrong. Out of the heart proceed evil reasonings, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. 
These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man, though it might give him a stomachache. If you eat with unwashed hands, you might get a stomach bug, that's all. But the basic thing is it won't defile you. Your soul is defiled from your heart. All right? Now, have you really got that? Have I got it over to you? Your problem is your heart. Not a devil, not temptation, not opportunity, not circumstances. Some people say, oh, well, you know, I remember years ago when I was in the police, I, I took one young hooligan to, to court who'd, I'd arrested, and I remember the stupid magistrate on the bench really sitting there and said, ah, well, you see, poor dear, you know, his home circumstances are wrong. Nothing to do with his home circumstances. His, his crime came out of his heart. Man's wickedness comes from his heart. It's inside of you. Now, you might not have a good inheritance. Maybe your mother was not the best mother in the world. And maybe your father wasn't the best father in the world. But until you have a heavenly father as your father, and Jesus Christ as your saviour, and the church as your true mother, the true church of God, there is no way that your heart will be changed. And it's in the heart. It's heart business that Christ deals with. He's not so interested in your body, though I believe in divine healing and seen many miracles. It's not that he's interested in some spiritual experience of saying banana backwards. He's not. They don't have And if they did, you could say it forwards. But it's not that, speaking in tongues. It's not anything to do with that. Though, thank God I speak in tongues, and I would that you all did. And it's not to do with some great prophetic utterance. Because in heaven, that's not going to be much use to you. Imagine someone coming along in New Jerusalem, coming along the street and saying to you, Thus saith the Lord. You'd say, Oh, beat it, buster. I was talking to him this morning. You know, and who wants to know? Can imagine some evangelist who get to heaven with big signs with profit on. They'll go around. <laughs> the trouble is you can just go and say, is that right, Lord? And he'll say, no. <laughs> and you'll know they're fools right at the start, but they won't be in heaven. They'll be walking around with a little black-faced fella. As Bunyan said, smutty face. No, that was Billy Bray. Um, they'll be down there. Prophet. The thing is, that's not what counts. It's what's in your heart. Now, David puts it like this. Oh, I told, said I'd tell you what pure in heart. Pure in heart. The word pure there means single. Now, you remember Christ talks of the eyes. If your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. Pure in this in the Greek, actually, the word means single, without folds. In other words, there's no place dark. There's a singleness. There's an openness. There's a oneness. And David in Psalm, what was it? Psalm 86, verse 11, 
says, unite my heart to fear thy, thy name. In other words, Lord, I want my whole heart to be united to fear thy name. I want a singleness of heart, was David's prayer, that mighty man of God. He said, I want a, a singleness of heart. And pure means without folds as well. It either means single or without folds. In other words, there is no creases and no deviation. It's a clear singleness. Christ's best expression was, you know, if I, my heart be single, my whole body is full of life. There's nothing else in my heart or my desire, if I'm pure in heart, that I want than to do God's will and to please him. That is purity of heart. Total singleness to serve the Savior. Total singleness to go after him and to please him. Only wanting to serve and love and adore and please Jesus. And to do what he desires. Not telling him what I want him to do for me. But seeking his face and finding out what his will is. Finding out how to delight his heart to please him. That's what purity is. Unite my heart. And in Romans 7 you find Paul, as I said, he wrote and he said, For I delight in the law of God after my inward man. He said, But I find another law working in my members. The law of sin and death. Now there's no doubt about it. In everyone there's two laws work. And don't think that you're someone who's totally delivered. The law of sin and death operates in anyone. It's called your old nature. And don't think that you've got a totally new nature and therefore you're not a human being any longer. You're not an angel. Whatever anyone thinks. You're not some perfect holy person. That would be deception. There's that wicked old self-asserting nature that likes to bob up every so often and have its own way. Isn't there? If you're honest. If you want to deceive yourself and everyone else and say, oh no, you know, uh, God's made me perfectly holy. Well, you're totally twisted. Paul didn't have that. I find at times, you know, there's, there's things that, that come, times of temptation. There's times when you wonder how you can survive. And Paul wrote, he said, Think it not strange the fiery trial that shall befall you, as though some strange thing happened. But a lot of us, if we get any real trials and temptations, we think that it's something strange, you know, and some people start rebuking the devil for it. Blaming the devil. It's not the devil at all. The trial of your faith is much more precious than fine gold, and God sends trials. God wants to find out what's inside. He wants to try your faith. He wants to try your heart and try your, your attitudes. And so it's much more precious than fine gold. God is developing you. He allows situations to come in your life. He allows challenges. 
Most people try and get rid of God's will by rebuking it. And they do it in the name of Jesus. And they call it the devil, and it's God. Job never stood down and said, you know, uh, when all the calamities uh, befell him, you know, he lost his, his, his uh, children, he lost his home, he lost his possessions. He didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan. He said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, he was one of the blessed. He knew meekness of spirit. See, he saw that God was sovereign and nothing could happen to him by chance. He didn't think the devil was waiting around the corner like a bogeyman to get you. He wasn't one of those who, before he got into bed at night, lifted up the cover and looked underneath. See if there was a bogeyman there called the devil going to get him. He wasn't like that. He just said, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A lot of people start rebuking the devil and praying against the evil forces and kind of shouting at their odds. That's not the Spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ as well. So be it, Lord. Have you got that spirit in you? Or have you got a spirit that fights everything? Determined, you know... Um, Believe, fight, struggle. What's inside? Look at uh, Revelation. Now, purity is essential. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and you'll find out why. Revelation 21. We get to verse 27. And this is talking of New Jerusalem, the bride. Remember, um, well, verse 23, And the city had no need of, of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now please believe me, no one will enter in who's going to defile the city. And then in chapter 22, verse 14, you get the same uh, thing. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whomsoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now, the impure are going to be outside. There's no way anything impure is going to be in the city of God. Now, don't think that it's some state that I'm going to suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, just at death, God's going to say. It's a developing state that I, I find God's working by his spirit in my life and transforming me from glory into glory. He's changing my nature. He's changing my being. And I'm finding more and more the spirit and nature of Christ is coming into my being. I become a partaker of the divine nature. Not that I've ceased to be human. Not that I haven't got my battles. Of course I have. 
glory to God, I also have a power and a spirit that can overcome those things. Because God fights for me. God's on my side, working within me. For it's God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God, because I've seen the total helplessness of myself and my own state, and I put my trust in God. And then he begins to work in my life and change me and mold me and make me. That's the truth. That's the reality of a true Christian. That's what changes a man. That's what I need. And I need to see that when I see him, you'll find it in 1 John just before Revelation. First epistle of John, you'll find the... Uh, in chapter 3, um, says this. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now, do note what John said. It does not yet appear what we shall be. It's not yet that you've got it. It's not yet. Don't be one of these who thinks you're perfected, that you've got it all. You haven't. Or John got it wrong. It's not that it isn't for you, but you haven't got it yet. Be realistic and honest. He says it's not yet. People leave out that little phrase. That's why the name it, claim it group are so ludicrous in their claims. They're claiming things you haven't got yet. I'm not saying you won't have them, but not yet. A lot of the things aren't yet. And here John says this. He says um, in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In other words, every man becomes single. He becomes totally devoted to Jesus and to doing his will. Even as Christ was totally devoted to doing the will of the Father and said, I do nothing of myself. What I see the Father do, that I do. Jesus' whole life was devoted to serving and obeying Father. He never once went. He's, it's written of him in Hebrews. Lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I come to do thy will, O God, was his testimony. He said, I don't speak. Except what I hear. That which the Father says, that I speak, said Jesus. And you see, my life must turn around until I begin to be an embodiment of what Christ wants to express through me. Not that I'm there. Not as yet. I'm coming there. I'm being changed. God is working in my life. But I haven't arrived. And nor have you. But when you do see him, and he is coming back, you'll be like him. Because at that point, he'll have perfected you. Up till then, like Paul said, not as though I were perfect, but I pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Not as though I had already attained, 
either we yet made perfect is what it said and none of us have attained because if you had attained God wouldn't leave you here you'd be too good he'd have to take you home but he's working on you you're under construction there's a work going on okay there is your nature your sinful nature that God's having to deal with and more and more you're crying out for deliverance in new areas day by day I see different things there are times of challenge where for a month God challenges me on a particular facet of my life and he uncomfortably keeps speaking about it and every time I pick up the Bible blow me down if it doesn't come out of the verse that I read whatever verse it is somehow God seems to want to get a message over and you begin to cry out now you make a resolution Lord I'll turn from that now that's a sweet resolution totally worthless because you don't turn how many of us have tried it say Lord I'll set my will so you do you might as well set it in concrete because it won't turn it won't move Lord I won't and you mean it and you find you fail now it takes a, a, a few weeks before you realize you can't and then you come back to the Lord and you say look Lord I keep falling I shouldn't keep falling I know I shouldn't do it but there it is look at my record over the last month say I've confessed it I ask you to cleanse me but keeps happening Lord you know I'm not really cleansed of course you're not but the problem is the wrong person's trying to do the cleansing I can't cleanse myself it's rather like Lady Macbeth who walked around wringing her hands and saying out out damn spot it wouldn't go because her problem was in the mind and there's a lot of people who are going around saying, oh, you know, Lord, cleanse me, cleanse me. I, I won't do it, I won't do it. And they get nowhere. Now what I have to do is cry like David. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I need you to create within me a clean heart. I need you to do the work within. It's not me, it's you. If you don't create in me a clean heart, I just can't be clean. If you don't come and do that within me and deliver me, I won't get delivered. You're the saviour. You're the redeemer. You redeem me. You have to do the work. I've tried. I can't. And so I believe that at every battle, and here is something that, call it heresy if you want to, but it's my experience and it's your experience if you're honest, and if it's not your experience, well, you're not saved. But here's the truth, as I see it. Basically, when God brings conviction on a certain facet in your life, the first thing that happens is you try to quit it. How many do that? All right? Hands up. Do you do that? You try don't you and you determine you won't do it and how many fail right that's honest now the ones that didn't put their hands up are liars because that's the first thing a man does the second thing you do is 
you come to poverty of spirit. In other words, you come to that blessed state of saying, I can't do it. How many come there? Well, I do. You do. Well, that's blessed. That's the first blessed state you get to. Now, the second state you get to, when you realize you can't do it, is you begin to mourn over it because it becomes such a problem to you, doesn't it? Every time you try to seek God's face, that thing's there, and oh, God! And you try to pray, and then you ask God to forgive you for it. Lord, you know, oh, cleanse me from it. You know, and it pops up in your mind. As soon as you get down to, how many find that? Oh, you are honest. That's exactly the way it is. Then you begin to mourn and to cry out, oh, God, when will it ever be different? Huh? And then you come to a submission to God. Lord, I know I can't change myself. Look, have your way, Lord. Please come and do something. Huh? Because I know I can't. It's called meekness. And then you begin to hunger and thirst after a day when you will be free of it. Hmm? And bless his name, when you get to that stage, it goes and you wonder why you ever had a problem with it in the first place. Because the Lord does it. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you get filled. But, unfortunately, we don't kind of jump to stage four before stage one, two, and three. At least I don't. The Lord has to get his point over. And he has to make me see my dependence on him. Then, I can understand and care for and be merciful to other people that have the same problem. I don't kind of go back to them and brazenly say, oh, trust the Lord. The Lord can deliver you. I've heard people say it. Really blessed ministry, you know. You go to people, oh, in Jesus' name, you can have victory over it. Just believe. What twaddle. I can't believe myself into deliverance. If God doesn't deliver me, I, I know he's my saviour, he's my redeemer. I can't believe myself into it. How many have found that their experience? Well, that's the way it is. That's what Christ was talking about. And if you don't know that, you're not a Christian. Starts with salvation... And it's the way our life goes on. And it's a blessed state to know your poverty. It's a blessed state to mourn. And it's a blessed state to be me. And it's a blessed state to hunger and thirst. And it's a blessed state to be filled. And it's a blessed state to be merciful. And isn't it wonderful to have a pure heart? Hmm? The time when God finally sets you free and whoa. Now the result is your mercifulness and your pure heart. They're results of God having worked and filled you. They're the results of God's work. They're not something I do. Something God's done for me. In fact, I find salvation's all of God and nothing of me. He saves me. Blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God and there's going to be a day when I'm going to see him face to face and when I see him I'm going to be like him. 
For I shall see him as he is. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful expectation. But never let us think there's a shortcut to get there. I've got to go through it. You know, you can look at the people. David said, creating me a clean heart. Joseph Harp, the great hymn writer, wrote this. Tis thine to cleanse the heart, to sanctify the soul, to pour fresh life in every part, and you create the whole. And that's the truth. It's God's job. I can't do it. I've tried cleansing my heart. Have you ever tried to stop thinking thoughts that bombard you and come out? You can't. And desires. Have you ever tried to change your desires? You want something and you know you shouldn't want it but you do want it. Now no matter what way you twist round it keeps popping up because it's in your heart. It's your heart. Out of your heart is these evil reasonings and these desires. And no matter how much you try and purify your mind and determine to shut your mind off, boom, stop. Just like a cork in water. Push it down, boom, it's up somewhere else. And the quicker you try to push it down, you can't. You see, you've got to have God deal with your heart. God created me a clean heart. I need deliverance from this thing. It's no good rebuking the devil because, and you can't cast out your old man or your evil nature. It has to be crucified. The cross has to come. There has to be a death of it and God has to work that in me. God has to come and work the cross of Christ into my heart and life. And unfortunately I find that there is no way but those stages So take heart if you've found, you know, that things have overwhelmed you and you've had to really fight and you've not got anywhere and you feel absolutely lost and broken and I don't know what, go on. Well, that's a good state to be in, that's blessed. But you're only at number one. If you got there, well, <laughs> you're at number one. Now, the strange thing is, the further on you go with God, you keep coming back to the first step of the ladder. And, and really, often, all the stages will be working in you at once in different areas. So you might be at stage one with something, stage three with something else, and stage five with something else. And you're kind of all going on at the same time. And God's dealing in different areas. Sometimes he'll just deal with one particular thing, which seems to... Uh, kind of magnify itself and magnify itself till it's the only thing you think about. Some people who have eating problems, food, it's all they think about, chocolate eclairs. And, you know, no matter where they go, that's all they can see in their mind. Now you need cleansing from that. If it's your problem. And you need deliverance from it. And other people have peculiar habits and they want God to set them free of them. And God will. But there's no way that you can just come and get an instant deliverance. It doesn't work like that. I would to God it did. I wish I could lay hands on people and say in Jesus' name and it was all over. It isn't. 
You can deceive yourself into believing it is, but three months later, boop, it's up. And that's the way it goes. There is no way that you can get instant deliverance. There's no instant mash. And there won't be funny little men, tin men, laughing about it. There's no way you, you can get, you know, an experience of God that just gives you instant answers. Life is something that has to be lived, and it's growth in Christ. We need to grow in grace, and it's a step-by-step walk. We've got to learn to possess our souls in obeying the truth. We've got to learn how to live in the life of the Spirit. It's not something that is one day you're, you're out, the next day you're in. That's rubbish. It's, it's a self-deception if you believe it. You're deceiving yourself. And you're deceived by other people's lies and doctrines. I know I preach the other side. I've experienced it. I've taught it. God forgive me, but I taught it at one time. And I I thought it was right. Thank God that, you know, I only affected a few. Well, quite a few, unfortunately. But thank God when I came to the realization and came to honesty. James says this in his epistle, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. When you've got the problems, don't flee God. Don't run. He's your only hope. Don't think, well, I must put this right in my life and then God will hear me. Because you can't put it right. And if that's the case, then you can never, ever have God hear you. Because... There's nothing you can do about it. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, it's your job. There's nothing else you can do. Paul, it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Lord is coming, you know. He's coming back to gather his own. But the truth is, my cry and your cry must be this. Come and cleanse my heart, O Lord. Come and cleanse my heart. It's a realization, okay, I've got poverty of spirit. Lord, there are things in my life I know need dealing with. But I've come to the place to see that I can't deal with them, even in your name. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Redeemer. I need you to come and do those things by a sovereign act. David prayed, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And I think that man of God knew something of it. Time after time he said, unite my heart to fear thy name. Bring me to a oneness of heart where I fear thee alone, O God. Can you pray and sing and come with honesty of heart and poverty of soul and say, Oh God, come and cleanse my heart. The seed of my problems is my heart. Come inside and wash me inside. Come and make me clean internally. Come and change my thoughts, 
Change the motives that just rise up. Come and change my inward being. In some areas it will be instantaneous. In others there's a fight. For you fought with some. There'll be fights further down the road. There'll be times when you'll wonder whether your heart's overwhelmed. But God's faithful. If you keep coming, you keep coming the stages and saying, Lord, I know I can do nothing. I know you can do everything. And your whole life becomes a prayer and a cry to him. You know, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is an essential part. I must be holy. I must have that inward cleansing. I must have that inward life. Don't think you're one of those who has no problems. Everyone needs changing. We change from glory to glory. We're not perfect yet. We haven't arrived yet. Not as though we'd already attained. Some of you have just begun a struggle. Some are just coming to find that something's got the power over you rather than you the power over it. You'll never get the power over it. You need God to deliver you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those with a singleness of heart and singleness of desire. For they shall see God. Come, O God, and cleanse my heart. Let that spirit of life come. Let me see, O God, my poverty. Let me mourn my sinfulness let me submit to your will let me hunger and thirst to be like Jesus let me become merciful pure in heart and a peacemaker as a result what a wonderful sermon Jesus preached blessed are the pure in heart could you sing tonight after what you've heard, come and cleanse my heart. Not just as words, but as reality. Seeing that God alone can change the inward being. The seed of your problems isn't something outside. It's not the devil. It's not temptation. It's that heart within. And God alone can cleanse that heart. Come and cleanse my heart. Let's pray. Come and cleanse my heart. What a beautiful beautiful prayer it's a prayer that you can pray from the depths of your soul when you understand what it really means I fear for people who don't know that they need that cleansing 
Lord, I need that cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. But I'm ever dependent on that blood flowing from Calvary. There's never a time in my life when I don't need his cleansing, healing flow. When I don't need his keeping power. When I don't need him. May God forgive me for the times when I deceived myself. When I thought I had more than I had. When I claimed things that really weren't true in my heart. But I was so dishonest I wouldn't admit it. But all the time when God showed me my poverty of spirit. The true state of my soul. Caused me to mourn over my sin. Caused me to come and say, oh God. I deserve hell. I can't understand why you love me. Why you have mercy. Why you move upon me. But oh Lord, I want to come in honesty. Come and cleanse my heart. Come, O oh gracious Savior. There's battles in my life I can't win. There's things I've tried to fight. And every time I try and fight them, they overwhelm me. Lord, I never saw the seed of my problems was my heart. Creating me a clean heart. Renew that right spirit within me. Oh, come, oh, gracious spirit of life. Come and cleanse my heart. Come and move within. Come, oh, God, and touch my soul. Come and stir the very depths of my being. Come and touch. Come and touch that inner core. Come and touch, O oh God, the things in my spirit. Lord, it's a time to come to Thee and admit one's need. It's a time to cry out to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to drop the pretenses, to drop the religion. For only the pure in heart are blessed. Only those that have had Thee touch them within who know that recreation within. Lord, only those, only those know. Oh, Master. Master, come. Come bring honesty of heart to each. That purity, that singleness, that honesty. Lord, let each one see by the Spirit the great need, the great void without Thee, the hopelessness, O oh God, if Thou dost not move. And let there come a cry from each one, come and cleanse my heart, come and cleanse my heart. 
from sin. Oh, Jesus, come. Let it be a cry of each soul. Come, oh, Lord Jesus, come. Come and cleanse my heart. Come, Lord. Come and deal with the things that assault my soul. Come and make me new inside. Come and break the shackles. Come, oh, Master. Come, reveal my poverty. Come, bring me to mourn for the things that so offend thee. Cause them to become an offense to me, O God, until I cry out for deliverance, till there's a hungering and thirsting after your life within. O Master, till there's a burning desire to have a single eye to thee, a single longing after your love. Nothing else dividing me. Oh God, come and cleanse my heart. Come and cleanse my heart, dear Lord.